The following is a message by Pastor Mike Nye of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org. That's D-U-R-K-E-E-T-O-W-N dot O-R-G. Amen. You may be seated. Wow. Lasting treasures. Lasting treasures. Children may go to children's church, and those who remain here may open your scriptures to Ephesians 1. I'm going to read our sermon text, which is verses 15 through 23. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The word of the Lord for our good. Amen. God's revelation in the scriptures regarding the church at Ephesus enables us to trace this church through continuous spiritual renewal. Where do we first meet the church at Ephesus? I'm asking you, you're going to have to answer me. It's a test. <laughs> Where do we first meet the church? Where was it formed? What, where in Scripture does it tell us it was formed? Yeah, uh, Ephesus is not the answer. Okay. You're right. It was formed in Ephesus. Very good. But where is it described or recorded for us? Acts chapter 19 and 20. All right? So you can, you can look that up at home this afternoon. Read about the forming. When do we meet it next? In the, in the New Testament scriptures, when do we next meet Ephesus? This is not a trick question. This is a real easy one. Ephesians, right. Book of Ephesians. Paul writes a letter to them. So he's, he's formed a community of followers of Jesus at Ephesus in Acts. And then he leaves them, but he writes them a letter instructing them in various aspects of becoming established as um, God's people. All right. And then when do we meet him next? This one might be a little trickier. Okay, that's where most of us jump to, but there's something before Revelation. Ephesus comes up before Revelation. Timothy, Timothy. yeah, Timothy, right. Paul writes uh, to Timothy, at least 1 Timothy. 2 Timothy, he's probably still, uh, Timothy's probably still at Ephesus for that as well, but he writes these letters to a church leader, Timothy, 
instructing him in some of the aspects of leading the church of Jesus Christ. And then the uh, last place is Revelation, right? In the letters to the churches, in fact, it's the first church in Revelation 2 that Jesus addresses, which at that point is possibly a generation removed from its founding. I like Ephesus because there's expansion, establishing, and entrusting, which is what we do at Centerpoint. So, and I just like it, too, because you get to see a church at the beginning to another generation, the follow-through, and see what's happened there. And so there's a lot to learn there. So over the next uh, four weeks, this one included, there's a short series that Pastor Ken put together. I'm going to preach today out of, out of Ephesians, and then Pastor Ken's going to preach out of Acts and Revelation in the next two weeks, and then he's going to close out with another text out of Ephesians. And we're going to examine two aspects especially of continuous spiritual renewal, and that is love and prayer. Love and prayer. This morning, in looking at Ephesians 1, 15 through 23, we're going to see how the power of the resurrected and ascended Jesus Christ results in a powerful prayer by the Apostle Paul. Paul has expressed in verses 3 through 14 of Ephesians 1 the blessings of God's church in Christ. So he takes some time just to point out to them who they are in Jesus. If you're ever confused about what does God think about me? How does God relate to me? Go to Ephesians chapter 1, read verses 3 through 14, and you will see how God blesses you. And so he's, he's gone through that, he's described that, and then he reflects on the fact that he has heard of their faith in the Lord Jesus and their love toward all the saints. And having reflected on that in relationship to who they are in Christ, he is compelled to pray for them. And what he is praying for them is that God's purposes for them will be accomplished. Ephesians is, is interesting because it has two prayers of Paul written down for us. They're, they're in there. It's not just that Paul prayed, but the prayers are actually written there for us. And um, a, a good book that I have by a man named D.A. Carson, um, and I can't remember the name of it, but it's about Paul's praying and his prayers. And it's really helpful because one of the points he makes is if Paul the apostle thought it important to pray this, and if God thought it important to preserve it, we ought to pay some attention to it. Not just as information about God, but as something to press us to pray. So he's expressed the blessings of God's church. He now feels compelled to pray that God's purposes for them will be accomplished. And in verses 17 through 19, um, Paul gives us four um, purposes that God is going to accomplish in the church at Ephesus. The first one in verse 17 is that the church will know God better. Know God better. Now, this is not simply like more information about God. There's a lot of information about God, but this isn't just information. This is the knowing that's a, an intimate interaction, a communion with, really getting to know God, what he's like, how he relates to us, how he reveals himself, what he does at work in his kingdom and in this world. The church will get to know God better 
Then secondly, in verse 18, the church will know the hope of their calling. Paul does not want this church to be left sort of out there wondering, okay, we've been brought together, but what are we supposed to do with that? What that, what does that bring us to? And it brings us to a hope, a living hope, as Peter writes, that we may know what is the hope to which he has called us. And then, verse 18 also, that we will know the riches of God's glorious inheritance. That's, a, that's, just, a, that's just a wonderful thing. Inheritance may not have as much of an impact in our lives as it did for the Israelites, for the Jews, um, and as, as they would have thought about it. But inheritance, this, this idea of something passed down. And, and it, in, 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 in antiquity, it was often not just money that's passed down. We think of inheritance, we think of the money I'm going to get. But there was a name passed down a good name, a, a heritage, a lineage passed down. And so there was more than just money. And one of, the, one of the things I love about this is when you think about this inheritance that we are joining in with Jesus as our elder brother. It's shared with us. The riches of the inheritance are shared with us. And then verse 19, the church will know the immeasurable greatness of God's power. Would that be good things to pray for, for yourself? Would those be the kind of purposes that should be accomplished in our lives? Think about it. Think about this. Are you praying that you will know God better? Not just, again, not just more information, but, but that you will really understand what he is like and how he relates to you. What about the hope of your calling? Are you crying out to God that he will accomplish the purposes of you knowing the hope of your calling? Do you want to realize the riches of God's glorious inheritance? It would be a sad thing to be one of those people who has a huge inheritance sitting there for him, but they don't even know it. God's been trying to tell you, you've got these wonderful things that you can rest in and glory in, and you haven't been paying attention. Do you want to know the immeasurable greatness of God's power in your life? And, and, and not just like to get things, but to transform you from who you have been to what you should be, to make even those small changes where you begin to think differently and you think more the way God thinks and the way God intends for you to think. But these purposes are not just for us as individuals. They're for all the church of Jesus Christ. So here's the next question. Having prayed these things for yourself, are you praying them for your brothers and sisters that are in this room today? Are you asking God that the people that you gather with on Sunday morning would know him better? Is, that, is it at the heart of your desire for them? Is your desire for them that God would accomplish his purpose and that they would know the hope of their calling? And that they would delight and enjoy in the richness of his inheritance? And that they would know the power of God in their lives so that they could be transformed in the way God wants them to? We like to pray for them to be transformed in the way we want them to, but that they would be following God and the path that he has designed for them. 
How might the life of our church change if we prayed for these purposes to be accomplished in the lives of others? And that's what Paul's driving at here. These are the things to be accomplished in the church. This is what he's praying for for the saints. He wants them to know God better, and he wants them to um, know the hope of their calling and the riches of their inheritance and the power, immeasurable power of God. Now, for that to become a reality, three things will need to happen. The first is we'll need to pay attention to the faith of our fellow saints. So one of the things that drove Paul in this, that compelled him in this, he says in verse 15, is that he heard of the faith of the saints in the Lord Jesus. They trusted in Jesus. They gave themselves over to him. With all the temptations around them and all the pressures around them in Ephesus, of the people who didn't want to see this church flourish, who didn't want these people to believe in God and worship him, but would rather they come back to the worship of uh, the other gods of the world. He heard of their faith in the Lord Jesus. Secondly, you will need to notice expressions of love by your brothers and sisters in Christ. He, he saw their, or heard at least, of their love toward all the saints. Word came back to them, hey, here's what the Ephesians are doing. Here's how they've been expressing the love of Christ. They've got these, perhaps they've got these people in the city who are against them, and they are responding to them in a loving way, not in anger, not returning evil for evil. There's faith in Jesus and there's love there. And to do that, you'll need to pay attention. I was not kidding when I said sit next to somebody that you don't know. How are you going to learn to pray for them? How are you going to develop this longing to pray for them unless you get to know them and know their faith in Jesus and their love toward the saints? And you say, ah, I want to be a part of helping them continue to accomplish the purposes of God in their life. And then the third thing is you'll need to be in regular thankful prayer. Paul says, uh, I did not cease to give thanks for you. The church at Ephesus was never far from Paul's mind as he was walking down dusty roads to get to the next place. As he was lying upon his bed, waiting to fall asleep. He's thinking about them and he's thanking God for their faith in Jesus and their love toward all the saints. And then he's remembering them constantly in his prayer, saying, God, would you make these things happen? Would you accomplish your purposes in the church? And so we ought to follow the lead of Paul in this. We ought to know our fellow believers and know them in such a way that we can pray and desire to pray intensely for God to accomplish his purposes in their lives. But the next part of this is what I really want to hit at, verses 20 through 23, because this section gives us the confidence that the prayers that we pray related to 17 through 19 will be received and answered because of the working of God's power, which he worked in Christ Jesus in three specific ways. So we're going to think about those three ways today. The first is resurrection. Resurrection. Res power exerted in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God showed his power to accomplish his purpose to secure eternal life for his people when he resurrected Jesus from the dead. 
I don't know if we spend enough time thinking about what it takes to resurrect a dead body, the kind of power that is in that. If you've ever been in front of a dead body and wished it wasn't dead, you get an inkling of what it would take to raise it from the dead because we can't do it. We cannot do it. And any time it happened in the, t- in the scriptures, it, the, it was always attributed to the power of Jesus. Mere men don't go around raising people from the dead. I don't think we think enough about it. I don't think enough about it anyway. I'm thinking a lot more about it. The power. When we think back to the resurrection, we're thinking back to immense power displayed as God resurrected Jesus from the dead. And that power is our hope for eternal life because he can resurrect us from the dead. Isn't that great? That same power exerted in resurrecting Jesus from the dead will resurrect us from the dead. It will bring bodies that have been in the ground for for centuries back into existence and reunite them with the soul to make a whole person that God intends. That is fascinating. That kind of power. The world doesn't have any power like that. If you're looking to tap into power, the world has nothing like that. It can't accomplish that. The power that is exerted in the resurrection of Jesus Christ that is recorded for us gives us great hope, not only for eternal life, but that now that power can be at work in our lives and in the life of our church to accomplish God's purposes, that we will know him better, that we will know the hope of our calling, that we will know the glorious inheritance and that we'll know the immeasurable greatness of his power. The second, in verse 21, is the power displayed in the exaltation of Jesus Christ. God showed his power to accomplish his purpose of securing an eternal kingdom for his people when he exalted Jesus above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. This wasn't a salvation simply for Jesus, for one person. But God demonstrates that his salvation is is, uh, powerful enough to secure an eternal kingdom in exalting Jesus, in raising him up. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus isn't just like whisking away to heaven to be with with God again and, and, and all reunited in one big happy family. He's being sent, he's being exalted, I should say, he's being exalted up to a position of power. That's the kind of power that God is showing in that. Exalting him above every name that is named. The, there, there is nobody on earth that can establish this kind of kingdom. They have tried, haven't they? Many have tried. Many names have been raised up. 
But if you know your history, you can look back at it and say, where, where are they now? They're gone. And their kingdoms are gone. The once powerful kingdom there in Europe, right? Where the emperor was more powerful than the church, he thought. And it's a bunch of countries now who are trying to form some kind of alliance with one another and having a lot of trouble doing it. The great Roman Empire at the time that this was written. It's just a place people go to visit to take pictures. There's, there's no Roman Empire anymore. There is no name except for Jesus that is exalted to that kind of level. And, and here's the nice thing about it, the, 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 not nice thing, the, the wonderful thing about it. It's not just for this age. Even if a king, a ruler, could somehow get all of the world together under his rule, it would not be permanent. Jesus is not just for this age, but also the one to come. This is an eternal kingdom. It doesn't end. That's the kind of power that is at work in us as we pray that God will accomplish his purposes for us and for the church. And the third one is the power exercised in the dominion of Jesus Christ. God, in the giving of, the, in giving of dominion to Jesus Christ, might be the better way to say that. God showed his power to accomplish his purpose of ensuring that his sovereignty is exercised for his church when he put all things under Jesus' feet and declared him to be the head of the church. Let me read that again. God showed his power to accomplish his purpose of ensuring that his sovereignty is exercised for his church when he put all things under Jesus' feet and declared him to be the head of the church. God said, you, Jesus, are the ruler over this. And it's a sovereign rule. Nothing's going to happen outside of God's control. There might be rebellion within the kingdom, but there's not outside of it that he can't control. He's not up against some other God who's somewhat powerful as well, and we're going to see which one comes out on top. Everything is under his feet. Everything. Including those worldly leaders who everybody looks at and goes, man, that's a powerful person. They're under the feet of Christ. And they will do nothing outside of God's sovereign will. And when you grasp hold of that and go, wow, that means I don't have to try and control outcomes. I can pray and believe and trust that the power of God can accomplish his purpose even when it doesn't look like the purpose I would accomplish. And this is where I think I often get hung up at least. I kind of have in my mind what God ought to do. Are you that way sometimes? God, I think you ought to do this here. And when I take a moment and reflect honestly, I say to myself, I can't even manage my own household that well. <laughs> well enough to be an elder, by the way. <laughs> but I have trouble managing my own household. I'm going to try and run this kingdom 
that God has put in place and under the foot of Jesus? I don't even want to. And I say I don't want to, but you know what? I just keep trying to do it. It doesn't come out in some kind of power grab, but it often comes out in pursuing ends my own way. I'm going to go this way, even though I'm, I know the Spirit doesn't want me to go this way. I'm going to satisfy whatever need I have this way, even though I know God doesn't want me to satisfy it that way. Even though he keeps saying to me, that's not going to bring you what you think it is. I keep saying, well, I think it will. And until I step back and say, the power of the resurrection and exaltation and dominion of Jesus is at work in me if I will just get out of the way, I keep stumbling. But when I do this, when I believe this power, I can stand firm. And I can pray this kind of prayer. God, because of the power that you've exerted, working in Jesus and through him, I'm going to pray some prayers now that I am convinced you will answer. I'm not going to have any, it's going to be like a blank slate. I'm not going to put up there what I think it's going to look like. But I know you're going to answer it. I know you're going to accomplish in my life and in the life of the church your purposes. You're going to help me know you better. I'm just going to stick with that one for a moment here. Because that can look like all kinds of things. Um, You want to know what brings joy to God? You got to get to know him. And he'll show you that. He'll reveal to you the things that bring joy to him. And it might not be what you think it's going to be. But that's the easy one. We want to know what makes God happy and, and those kinds of things. But do you want to know what grieves God? Do you want to know what grieves God? I, I don't really. <laughs> I don't really because I am quite sure that what that will mean is I will have to enter into that with him. Have you ever tried to describe grief to somebody? It just really doesn't work very easy. It's very hard to do that. You've got to enter in. You've got to come into it and live in it with them. And if you say, God, I want to know you better, and God says, okay, do you want to know how I grieve? He's going to draw you into what makes him grieve. He's going to move the disposition of your heart to grieve. And it's going to be hard. But it's going to be rewarding. Because you'll know God better. You will... will, understand him better. You'll relate to him now at a deeper, more mature level as one of his children. Resurrection power, exaltation power, and dominion power, these truths should give us confidence to pray for the accomplishing of God's purpose in our life and in our church because they demonstrate the power of the God to whom we pray. So I want to encourage us today as we go forth from here. Reflect today on the resurrection of Jesus, not just as like an event that happened, but, the, but consider the power 
of bringing a dead person alive. Just try to think about what that would take. And then ponder the exaltation of Jesus that he is lifted up. Just, just like if you're going to go online, go online and find like the top powerful people in the world. And then think to yourself, they won't be here 100 years from now. But Jesus still will be. And all that they're amassing in power will be nothing. And then reflect and meditate on the dominion of Jesus Christ over all things. (laughs) Make a list of everything that tempts you away from God's sovereignty. What I mean by that is the thing that you think to yourself, I'm not sure if God really has control of this. This is hard to do because we know we're not supposed to put anything down. But try to be honest and say, if it's reflecting my life, where do I avoid the sovereignty of God? Because I'm not convinced he has sovereignty over that. And then when you've you've written that list out, reflect back on it and think to yourself, but the truth is, out of this scripture passage, that God is sovereign over that. That's not out of his control, even when it looks like it might be. He is at work to accomplish his purpose, that we would know him better, we would know the hope of our calling, the riches of his glorious inheritance, and the power of the immeasurable greatness of his power. Father, thank you for this text. It's more than a text. It's a living word. Your spirit today will apply to our lives if we will just get out of the way and let it happen. Father, show us the deeper meaning of the resurrection and the power inherent in it. Show us the deeper meaning of the exaltation of Jesus and the power that it took to do that. And then show us the deeper meaning of sovereignty of Jesus over all things, that he has dominion over everything. And as we've reflected on those then, Father, would you cause those things to increase our confidence that you will answer our prayer for ourselves and for your church to accomplish your purposes for us. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Mike Nye of Durkeetown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. You may freely copy and distribute this message, but please do so at no charge and without altering the contents in any way. For more information about Durkeetown, please visit our website at www.durkeetown.org.